If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. So it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome to Beautiful Humans, the social change cast, where behavior analysis and social justice collide. Join us as we aim to move the needle on personal and social change by tapping into the beautiful humans inside of all of us. Follow us on Spotify, Apple, or whatever medium you prefer to make sure you never miss an episode. You can find us on Instagram at Beautiful Humans Change and on Facebook at Beautiful Humans, the social change cast. If you're interested in supporting this podcast, go to www.patreon.com slash beautifulhumans to become a Patreon. Welcome back, beautiful humans. It's Denisha. And this is Aaron. All right. Well, I guess we can get right down to the nitty gritty. We are joined today by Elkin Alfred, sorry, and Robin Williams, who are the podcast hosts of Black in the Days. Welcome, welcome. Thank Thank you for having us. We appreciate you inviting us onto your platform and for this mashup of podcasts. I've been admiring you you from afar, like, ooh. Robin always talks about you guys. So I'm super excited and nervous. Um, uh, Yeah, so I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank y'all for joining. As soon as uh, Robin posted the flyer the first day, uh, Aaron and I were texting like, get them on the show. So really? Yeah, how long ago was that that you all started your podcast? We actually started on Juneteenth. Yes, um, yes. Which was symbolic. Uh, for many reasons, and so this the the podcast was an idea that we talked about for two and a half years. Many people don't know this, but Elkin and I talk every morning on the way to yeah. work. Um, and so, and we've been friends for decades. And so we would talk and talk about all manner of things, but it all came back to being black women. And so that was that's our frame that we share everything through. And so um, that's how it kind of got born. So that's yeah. dope. I've been seeing your, um, and I get, we'll, we'll tell our uh, listeners more about you in a second, but I've been seeing your show posts and stuff like that and had the opportunity to listen. Um, when you all first got started, you know, life really sucks you dry and you don't get to listen to everything, but I definitely yeah. listened when it first rolled out and I'm going to do a better job um, going forward. But um, I saw that you just had uh, Jet Set and Jasmine on your show, who I also follow on Instagram as well. So I was like, that's really cool. I have to, that's on my to-do list to listen to it um, ASAP. But um, I love the content that you all put out. It's relevant to the Black community. And it's just dope. Like this month is, um, you know, Sexual Health Awareness Month. Is yes. That yep. And y'all, of course, were right there making sure to have those conversations this month. So it's really cool. Yeah. um, Jet Setting Jasmine is actually a friend of ours. And um, 
we were just honored to have them both on the show and to talk about all of the work that they do in the sex worker industry, um, all of the work that she does as a licensed uh, clinical social worker, I believe it is. Uh, she does a lot of work around intimacy and sexual health and sex positive parenting and it's been and polyamory and love and relationships and just all kinds of things that are taboo in our community, just bringing enlightenment and awareness to that. So it was a great episode. I can't wait for you to listen to it and um, email me, text me, whatever you're both of you, both of you, your feedback on it. Um, and it kind of opened our eyes up to some more things that we need to talk about within our community. So just last week, we booked a few episodes for our next season, which we're going to be starting to continue the discussion around sexual health and even um, bias, implicit bias, gender, gender identity within the Black community specifically, because there's so many um, Black trans women who have been murdered, injured at the hands of Black people. And so we need mm -hmm. to talk about it. We need to talk yeah. about what, what's really going on and what's the fear around that. So thank yeah. you for listening. I kind of went on a little tangent and I'll come back to whatever you need to say. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, Tangents you know, are okay. <laughs> that's, that's all the show is, honestly. A whole bunch of just, just tangents, a whole bunch of tangents. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> but before we go any further, I guess we can take some time to introduce ourselves to the listeners. Um, so I will let anyone take it that wants to. Actually, let's let Elkin start because Elkin, this is your first time with us. I know. Um, so again, thank you for having me, having us. Um, so again, my name is Elkin. Uh, I go by Elkin Nicole on social media. Uh, I am a diversity, in equity, and inclusion professional. So I do part of that work in my daytime job and also in my consulting gig. I'm a blogger. Um, I love outdoor, like, concerts, live music. So I'm missing that right now during quarantine season. Um, hard. Um, I'm Haitian American. So that informs my experience and how I navigate the world. Um, and I'm really in this season where like anything is game. Like I'm just challenging myself in like new ways. I think that is the gift of quarantine. And I know I'm saying that from a place of privilege but it really has given me the opportunity to explore. And so that's what I love about podcasting is that our guests teach us things, right? So um, that episode with Jess Setting Jasmine was amazing. And so um, I'm just loving this journey that I'm in right now. So that's just a little bit about myself and Robin and I, we have been friends for decades. She is like my sister. Um, I love her so much because our I always say we have like a spiritual connection, our friendship. And so um, she knows if something is wrong without me even having to tell her, like we don't even have to be in the same, we're not in the same city, but she knows when something is up. So it's been fun doing this with her. And so when she told me about you two, she talks about you guys all the time, um, just how great you all are. So it really is an honor to be here. I'm excited. Yeah, I think that's like hands down one of the best introductions I've ever heard of somebody introducing themselves. It's like it's so awkward to do that. And it was just like, do you practice that? I mean, does it like because it just like rolled off like it was natural. <laughs> 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 she practiced it. She practiced it. 
<laughs> yes. You never know. Yes. <laughs> that is the hardest part. It's like, so tell me about yourself. You're like, Ugh. I know, I hate it. Yeah. It's because humility, like we're we're taught not to talk about ourselves, right? So it's like I can't yes. I can't toot my own horn too too loud because then I look yeah. you know arrogant or something. But, mm-hmm. and then, no, but yeah, and then people are like, I don't know what it is, but I really don't like it's them. It's like oh, because yeah. they got too much confidence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yes. With okay. that said, yes. <laughs> With that said, who wants to go next? I guess I'm I the think last we should one. go next, Denisha. We'll okay. do, we'll like tag team it. Cool. <laughs> All <laughs> right. So I am Denisha. I am one of the co-hosts of the Beautiful Humans podcast. Uh, and I am a licensed and board certified behavior analyst. I also have a background in mental health. My master's degree in counseling comes from University of Baltimore. Um, I am so interested. I am a clinician, a clinician, a clinician by heart. Um I really care about impact and making a change in individuals' lives. And so I think that is what resonates the most with me. And when we started this podcast, thinking about the ways in which the words can touch people to action, not just, you know, so that they could listen and that we, you know, become talking heads, but that they listen and say, it's time to do something. And so those are, you know, that's the part of the work that really resonates with me and that I find value in. Um, I do a lot of um, workshops around, you know, becoming an accomplice or a change agent. So once again, moving back to that, like the behavior piece, like what are you going to do tomorrow? <laughs> what you going to do the next day? What you going to keep doing? How you going to show up? And um, I've recently gotten kind of thrown into a role not really though um but i i've been doing a, a few um diversity and equity and inclusion um speaking engagements and i will be doing more of those as the time rolls through um and then which it all rolls into the same thing you know um we talk about um diversity and equity or diversity and inclusion um being its thing and then when you put in equity and justice and making sure that the environments have everything that you need for all of us to succeed and so always you know i say like you can't have the d and i without the e and the j without the equity and the justice so um that's a little bit about me. I'll probably go on way more rants tonight. I kind of want to like take Elkins, you know, what I've been enjoying about quarantine type of thing. <laughs> what have you been enjoying? Go ahead. Uh, nothing. No, I'm joking. <laughs> um, I was talking to Aaron yesterday and we were having a conversation. One thing I've been realizing is I've been doing really good at honoring commitments and not as well as uh, at honoring myself. So I have been... I'm going to be taking up more of that and making sure that I'm doing a, a great job of, you know, honoring myself, but then also still extending grace because we we forget all the time, at least I do, that we're in the middle of a freaking pandemic. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and whatever we're doing is good enough because we're in the midst yeah. of a freaking pandemic. So, yeah, yes, but I have enjoyed being able to speak to folks like y'all during the pandemic and still taping and doing shows. So. I'm excited about tonight because it's a it's a good break from the day. I'm Robin Williams. I am a cisgender black woman, Florida native, born and raised, which is a very rare thing, actually. Um, I've been in the fields of applied behavior and analysis for about 22 years now. I've been a behavior analyst for almost 22. 
I did not uh, know that. I'm sorry. The first time I took my test, I failed. When I first became a BCABA, <laughs> I failed. And, and anyway, but um, I'm passionate about all things around education, exceptional education, race, um, equality, racism, um, spicy food, Thai food, <laughs> outfast, outdoor concerts, my husband, my children. Um, a yoga teacher, but not like for real. I just did the YTT 200 and for my own self, but I don't really do it all the time. So it's, it's inspiring to see like rock stars in our field doing amazing things and affecting social change. So thank you for the invite. I think that's like one of the best compliments ever. Is you that just said makes, that. <laughs> it makes that intro. As that intro that's like the best compliment I think that that I've heard like people say that you know they're so glad that you know we talk about these things but that we make you think and I I, I don't know I just I just love that because I think just going back to what Denise and I were talking about the other day it's you know it's about impact and it's not just talking heads not just sitting here having conversations mm-hmm. because you know we want some sort of accolade or you know a bunch of likes on social media or anything like that it's to to create some sort of change and in order to do that you have to make people think you know they have to change to interrogate you know what what they know to be true so um yeah yeah. that was two different things elkin's like in introduction your compliment (laughs) on point so um i guess that's my turn right yes it is all right. So my name is Aaron. I'm the other half of Beautiful Humans. Um, I am a non-binary trans human. Um, I'm white. I actually just moved to Florida. Not even long enough to like realize what Florida actually is. I just asked when you all turn the heat down because it's like <laughs> miserable right now. I was just sitting outside. Just, I walked outside and I started sweating. And I'm like, what is this? Um, <laughs> you choke on the air it'll i'm sure it'll turn down at some point but i love it down here honestly 100 it was um best decision i think i've ever made um i've been a behavior analyst for since 2014 um i mainly teach right now um you know i was in clinical work but that that is not my passion um i have yet to actually figure out what that what that is um but it's not within like traditional behavior analysis um but right now i teach uh, in a graduate program i'm in a doctoral program i'm just now like starting the dissertation coursework stuff like prep Ooh. course so um i'm really into that looking at prejudice from like a relational frame theory perspective so um and how we can change that so it's not just like you know how do we develop all of these thoughts and behavior patterns and things like that. But what the hell can we do to change that? Um, and, and so uh, I think like educationally or academically like that, that's my main interest right now. But um, I really love like your introductions where you're saying you, you love all of these things and the joy that, that you contact uh, my partner, Chris and I, we just bought a camper, which I've always wanted to do. So we're about ready to, to take that. Um, I've got um, five kids that live up in West Virginia. And so we're going to travel up there and camp with them for the weekend and then like make our way back down. I also I think I'm, like really in deprivation from like the outdoor music or just like music, live music in general. Like I'm just, I, I didn't really even realize how, I guess I took it for granted and now it's not here, mm-hmm. you know? And, and so, um, but yeah, it's uh, I love Florida. 
I have to say that. I know I just complained about the weather, but I do. I love it down here. Um, but yeah, so I'm super excited about this conversation yeah. that we're about ready to have. That's great. Welcome. I want to error correct myself because that's that's the behavior change. You know, when you make mistakes, you error correct. But I didn't tell your listeners who are listening my pronouns. I'm Denisha Sheher. And I also want to tell y'all where I'm from because I like where I'm from. St. Louis, Missouri. <laughs> the Midwest. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. What are you well, well, hang on. Just since you gave your pronouns, mine are, I use gender neutral, like, um, so they, them, but gender neutral language in general. Mm-hmm. And I do know, because generally, too, because I, I, I've come into contact, too, where they're like cultural, like, language. And it seems like, and I think it actually happened, Robin, like the last time you were on here, it was like yeah. um, to reference and to say girl a lot. And it's like this change in behavior that that mm-hmm. I've come into contact with a lot lately. So in the event that that happens, we'll just air correct. We will. Um, so, and yes. it's probably happened a couple times already with you guys. Um, and so I, I'm going to ask for grace. And I'm sure Elton will ask grace. for grace because we're all in yes. the space of learning. Um, that's what I love about being with people that allow me to learn and allow me to be like, Hey, um, that's not okay with me. So I need you to be aware of that because I have to do that racially. So I, I absolutely understand. And so thank you for that, Grace. You know what this, I'm sorry, this wasn't planned, but one part of the after that conversation the first time that we all had together when we realized I was you know having a conversation with a friend and there's such a as a black woman in our conversation right like girl you know that's just how we speak so I could be speaking to my partner who is a man and being like girl let me tell you what I did today and Um, so Right. Yes. And so like that, it really, it really flows out. And um, I was, there was another um, example that I gave my friend and I can't remember anymore, but just talking about those differences and how um, quickly those things roll off the tongue, because that is how we're kind of used to speaking. Culturally. To yeah. Culturally used to speaking to everybody like girl could plan. But Bye-bye. I think too, you know? but I think here's the thing is when you know that, and you know that that terminology in in your culture spans gender and it and it is used broadly like for me that that's different you know Mm. and it's not um that to me is not erasing like my identity in a sense you could truly see who i am that's why like the hey guys like i know a lot of people don't like that and i tried to like eliminate that too mainly not because i feel like i'm misgendering people mainly because that holds like the patriarchy and all that stuff and gives power to all and i'm just like i'm done with that part you know and so that to me is more for that purpose um and why everybody is then assumed to be male in a sense the but you know when it's when i learned that that is that that's what that means um you know when you all are talking to um to each other then that's it's to me that's different the function of that is different and i can see past that at least you know that that doesn't have the same impact i agree Erin. i mean to the space that I can agree, it's different than the function of a teacher, which I often train when a teacher is like, come on, boys and girls. That's different than, than a, a group of people um, using that kind of terminology in a very familiar and cultural way. Um, it does not erase the fact that we should be more aware. Yeah. 
because things are changing and we need to ever be changing and evolving and understanding the, the identities of the people who are in our communities and honoring those identities. 100%. And when we don't look at how deeply embedded gender is into our language as a whole, that's where the true issue really, really lies. When we're just focused on pronouns and and like um, saying ladies and gentlemen or things like that, we don't really see the, the stereotypes and how deeply enmeshed it is into everything that we do you know even i think actually robin you posted something online um like a meme and it was like something about rough and tumble boys or something like that and it had i been in like a better mental space i would have like reached out and been like my girls who identify as girls are like more rough and tumble than anything and i'm sure that that's like not what what the intention was but for me it's like when those things show up it's those things that then reinforce those stereotypes over and mm. over and over again or it's the homeschool moms it's because dads apparently don't homeschool or any other parents right. don't homeschool it's but it's those if you start to analyze gender stereotypes within everything it really starts it's just it's everywhere and it's overwhelming absolutely and it happens with racial racial stereotypes too and when we begin yes. to talk about identity and oppression and and, and we're going to get mm -hmm. to a lot of things if we have the time to but when we start to think about like the roots of those types of oppression, um, racial stereotypes are embedded that way as well. When mm -hmm. we talk about uh, or think about the suburban mom, who are we thinking about? We're not thinking about moms who look like me. So mm -hmm. we, you know, I, I believe I agree with you, Erin, and and in part of combating that and changing behavior is being aware of all of those things. And I think that it begins, the foundation is racism and racial oppression. And then we can look at all of those other types of oppression around that. I think you were going to say something out there or no, 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 I think I was, yeah, no, I just, now that I'm sitting here and listening to this conversation, I'm just thinking about like my own work and the spaces that I operate in and how unintentionally I reinforce those like that system right and just how my my daily conversations and even i'm thinking about some of the programs that we fund right in my in nonprofit and like the verbiage like the criteria we use um so i'm i'm a little blown away now just just by this little piece of conversation because now i have to revisit so many things that i do that i just didn't think you know, and I'm in this DNI space, right? And I still didn't think about that, the larger context of how it impacts so many different people and systems as a whole. So I'm, I, w I need to take down some notes because I feel like I need to go back <laughs> to the office. I Well, I think what Robin just pointed out was perspective, right? Is, you yeah. know, and, and Denise and I too, we ask people, you know, what is the identity that you think about the most from day to day, right? And is the thing that is the most salient, the thing that sticks out the most to you. And generally that's like your most oppressed identity, right? Right. Yes. And so that's the perspective that I'm coming from where Robin, Elgin, Denise, you all might be coming from a different one right and so mm -hmm. i think that that's why like having you can't just one person doesn't have all the, the solutions doesn't have all the answers it's because yeah. they only have a certain perspective so yeah absolutely and back to like you know to the ingraining part like especially with gender like it really is ingrained too i like even the fact that for you know you look at literature 
for um, evidence-based practices. And you'll see gender or, you know, yes. very gender, she, her, him, um, and his, and he, and, and that's it. And there's nothing else included there. I was with a client today and we were playing with dolls and he chose the doll. And as we were playing, I was like, can you describe this doll? Like, you know, and, and he's like, it's for girls. And I was like, but you're playing with it. Like, you know, you know, and, but like the, the things that are taught um, in our everyday conversations, like, oh, and, and that's the RFT stuff that you're studying to Aaron. Like when we start to categorize things like, oh, this is a doll. Dolls are for girls. But then, so then what happens? Like, when you're playing with these dolls and like, do the, how do we break down these gender stereotypes in that way? But, you know, and I always say, Robin, to your point, too, is like when we when we think about intersectionality, like you, you do have to think about dial that dial that down. to, And then gender when gender is um, the converse in the conversation, you put an extra um, layer on that with race and you're going to get a very different experience. Right. And, and so, yeah, those are all good points to be made. I, I just want to say one more thing before we get into the stuff that we really wanted to talk about. <laughs> it's, it's tangent. It's tangent. I, I can't I, control I it, Robin. It goes where it goes. <laughs> I know, but I'm a behavior analyst and I want to control a certain manner of things. Uh, and I'm a Virgo. Um, I believe in that. But when we think about literature and research, and particularly within our field, right? And and all of the demographics just came out from the BACB. And I've talked to other friends um, about the lack of representation for gender and race. And I think that because gender identity and gender expression is a fairly new term and idea that people are becoming familiar with and starting to accept. So there was no frame of reference for them to begin to think about, wait a minute, there are humans who are not represented within this research, within this literature. It's fairly new. I, I would venture to say maybe 25, 30 years. So I feel like the onus is on us and for people who actually want to be conspirators i think you guys use a different term but i like conspirators because when we you're conspiring to. you're thinking about wait a minute mm -hmm. hold up wait hold this yes. thing right i'm gonna i'm about to do this when you when you begin to look at what the work that we want to do then the onus is on us to do that research and to mm -hmm. do that and to make sure people are represented which is why i love your podcast which is why i love the work that you're doing because it's evident in what you're doing that this is the the change we plan to make right now. So I, I just want to throw that out there too. So for one of the things is like with gender, it's like, you know, on the mainstream, I guess, to say like, it's, it's just becoming um, more attention is being focused, but gender has been ex existed since forever. Like you go back yes. to indigenous folks and, and they had two spirits. Two and spirit. Yes. Yeah. You know, and so like, or you go back to even, I won't, I know some people might say, it, but like you go back to biblical and you like, do you have different things um, mm -hmm. or different verbiage, I should say that um, paints a picture that gender was ignored, but at some point it was normalized for, 
certain um, uh, cultures and populations. I especially look to the indigenous folks to to um, to give us that information because that is part of it. There is no you know, just man, woman, like there's so many different ways to explain your expression. And then we, you know, geared up to now going further into the 2000s where we're just like, oh, okay, we need to do a better job at not ignoring the population anymore. Um, but, it, you know, it's always existed going back to even, you know, the Stonewall uh, riots and mm -hmm. that, <clears throat> what is that, like 60 years ago now? Mm -hmm. Um, and mm -hmm. so, you know, it's been, it's, it's been floating and, um, it, it definitely is up to us, like you said, Robin, to be co-conspirators and make sure that, and I can't wait to hear the conversation that y'all do about our community. Um, I've gotten so much over the years, um, for being a co-conspirator for our black trans sisters, for our black trans siblings and from cis black men or cis black women who are like, what's your problem? Are you trans? Like, you know, or why you go so hard for the trans population? And it's like, because those are our siblings, period, at the end of the day. So, mm -hmm. yeah, uh, I hope that we continue to push, um, put attention on it and do that research and do those readings. Mm -hmm. And I want to encourage listeners, like, just, you know, Google is your friend. I mean, there's tons of information out there about the historical a uh, place of people who are non-binary, like it have existed since the beginning of time, right? So this idea that this is new, when people say that, I'm like, no, it's not new. If you even look in archeologists, they'll have in caves, you'll see depicting very clearly multiple genders, not just the binary. So I think, um, you know, we have to be honest in, and even in our conversation to make that clear that though we now have the language, the word for it, it may be in our current times, that it isn't just, it's not just here in the last 30 years. This, since the beginning of time, um, we've had a diverse a spectrum of the gender represented in human and human society. And not even just represented, but like they were regarded as like yes. some yes. of the most like, celebrated celebrated like that's a perfect word yeah it's like uplifted upheld as something yes. that, yeah. that that should be honored and it's like now it's like okay yeah we just y'all exist you can have like your little checkbox on a form over here mm -hmm. and like that's you know it goes from complete erasure to mm -hmm. um okay now like you just said robin is like there's this whole new term you know it's like where did it go for yeah. the past you know however many centuries millennia whatever yeah. you know like yeah <laughs> so it was considered yeah. to be a gift right it was mm -hmm. a gift it, you were a date considered a deity so i think that's important to note in this conversation yes yeah that's a whole nother that's a whole nother uh you know podcast episode is like you know how we got from there to here i actually just wrote a paper yes. on it you know and it's like here from here and 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 the power and control of like women and reproductive rights and slavery and, and all of that stuff and um and it's just god it's hard to to read you know it's it really is anyway Woo! All right, we done. This was heavy. No. <laughs> right before we got on, Denisha was like, "I think we should start with this topic because it's not as heavy. It's like lighter." I know, right? <laughs> We're just like, screw that. We're just gonna dive right into something completely different. Exactly. <laughs> not even on the list. Right. Right. For real. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. 
hard pivot <laughs> to Kanye. Pivot, pivot. Um, Kanye, what do y'all want to talk about with Kanye? I, so there's so many ways we could go. Yes. Mm-hmm. So let's mm-hmm. go lately. You know, let's talk about Kanye in the music industry who right now is calling for essentially he thinks he's the Nat Turner, right? Of the music industry. He's trying to free the slaves. Um, And he essentially is saying that he doesn't want to watch it continue to happen. So he's Nat Turner and he's putting his life on the line right now to blow the whistle on the music industry. And yeah, so that is Kanye. Okay, pause for a second. Okay. R- real fast, explain to me how we got from Kanye West in the White House wearing a, a Make America Great hat again with President Trump to here. Like what I've, I, I, pop culture for me is like, I, I, I have checked out of it, to be honest. I just, so I don't know, like maybe give me like a download and what has happened. Part of my interpretation of Kanye, and this is just my interpretation, and I'm not a licensed mental health professional. I just want to put that out there. Part of my interpretation of Kanye is that he is a person who is needing a lot of mental health help, and he's talked about it openly. I think Mm -hmm. with the the death of his mother, that triggered a lot of things in him um, that caused him to seek out solace, peace, understanding, meaning in other relationships and his career. And so you have, I think he's an amazingly gifted and talented creator. I think that everyone on this podcast is a creator. And so when you live in a certain space, your mind kind of goes places, right? But when you cannot rein it in, then it goes places that are undesirable sometimes and places that you can't necessarily control And so with him, I think the death of his mom was a trigger. I think that his public um, affirmation, acknowledgement, support of Donald Trump and the backlash he received from the black community that so loved him before continued to hurt and traumatize him in a way that he was not expecting. Um, and then on top of that, later, there's just so many layers. Like, I don't even think Kanye West is an easy topic. On top of that, he recently, maybe two years ago, a year and a half ago, came out with a gospel album that was great, but it received a lot of critical acclaim from the Black community. Because if one thing Black people are is we hold fast to our religion, generally mm. speaking. And yeah. so you're putting this image out and then you're coming with this other kind of juxtaposed image and identity of this now gospel singer. He got a lot of backlash for that too. So I think trying to find a space where he fits and where his voice can be heard um, has been his motive. Um, and, and, and now for him to be like, I'm leaving the music industry, me and slaves and shackles. And he says things that I think are reinforced by attention, but I think also that attention um, impacts his behavior in different ways. He, anyway, that's my short take on Kanye because I think it's much deeper than what we could even begin to, to think about. Okay, so I'm again, I'm not a licensed mental health counselor. I'm not a licensed clinician. 
do you think that possibly, because I know he's been very open and honest about his diagnosis of bipolar disorder. Do you think also there's a component of narcissism, maybe narcissistic personality disorder that may feed into this, this godlike complex, this idea that he has all the information. He's the person who needs to save, you know, black people. Um, he knows what's the best. I think, because there's a part of me when we talk about the death of his mother that it's like, and again, I don't mean to sound harsh, but lots of people lose parents, right? Doesn't mean that they go into this spiral that he is in. So there's a part of me that wants to hold him accountable for not really seeking or using the behavioral health services that I think that can help him manage some of these um, thoughts that he has. Um, because I think the issue that I have with him personally, and again, this is me speaking for myself, is because he's a person of influence that has a power, um, the damage that he's causing around the discourse related to Black people and our political agenda. Um, and so I, I'm, I don't want to say I'm losing patience with him because I understand that he's someone who's sick and I, who, I really do think so. I think he's someone who's sick and who needs help. Uh, but he's causing a lot of damage to not just himself, but I think to this movement of us trying to achieve equity. Um, and then he wants to turn around and say, you know, just five months ago, slavery was a choice, right? When he, just five months ago, he was yeah. with the TMZ guy talking about how slavery is a choice. And now he's talking about slavery in the music industry. Like, wh what is it, Kanye? Like, is slavery a choice or like, or are our systems in place? Are you choosing right. to be enslaved within the music industry? Right, right. right. Yeah, so I think that's how I feel about Kanye. I'm just, I'm, but I will say though, his the gospel artists and the the church services that he has if you are a fan of music and voices the people Amazing. he gather on sunday to sing even if you're not a spiritual person you can't tell me you don't feel something yeah because it's just so powerful so yeah he's musically he's a genius mm -hmm. yeah so i think with kanye even you know you brought up the narcissistic personality disorder and, you know, I'm not in the diagnosing business um, at all, but I think it, you know, you're tacting something and labeling like some of the outward things that we see with him. Like he just comes off very grandiose. Like then that is mm -hmm. a clear indicator of MPD or one of, I should say one of the indicators of uh, MPD and, you know, believing that he's like, so different so special so unique and like these are great things that we want to teach everyone like we are unique but then there's like this certain level um attention seeking is one of the mm -hmm. indicators right um lacking of empathy um being able to like be intimate or form intimate uh, relationships with others but and then also it's that like sense of entitlement so i think that's mm -hmm. the like biggest part that's coming here like we don't hear from kanye west until he feels like 
he should have something that he doesn't have because he is Kanye West. And now he wants everyone mm-hmm. to come on board to join his mm-hmm. cause. But before that, there's a lack of empathy there, right? That slavery was a cho- like, you don't have empathy towards your ancestors, my dude. Like, huh? And, there, mm-hmm. you know, we see the also, the also the lack of empathy, right, with folks that are right now undergoing oppression and, and him clearly drawing lines and I, I, I take that as a lack of empathy, but um I think that there are some, you know, behavioral principles too at play with him. You know, behavioral principles definitely in terms of like the attention seeking, like we what, we haven't talked to Kanye in a while. We haven't heard from Kanye in a while. He's like, I gotta do something else, you know. Mm-hmm boom here um but he's really but then also just what he's calling for us to do in terms of everyone else is to break away from the music industry so he's like telling everybody else like you need to put them on extinction um so that we can quote unquote free ourselves i think my biggest thing with kanye is i just wish that i i used to love kanye i have vinyl kanye okay i have the vinyl (laughs) and you know the kanye the I miss the old Kanye. Like, that's all it is. Like, I miss the old Kanye. I wish that he would use his power in a way. And the thing is, actually, Kanye's current issue is totally correct. There's no getting around that. Like, you know, the music industry, how they do play people. But it's just the fact that Kanye didn't care as Kanye was sitting on his millions and billions until he got screwed by someone else. And it's just like, but what about the young brothers, the people that you sit next to every day that's also playing people in the music industry who also have their own power and you said nothing or will say nothing. And so that's the the whole part of the selfishness part. It didn't matter to you until it hit home. So that's the that's the one thing I got against Kanye right now. I wish he would come back. But in terms of like getting getting the help that he needs, it's really hard um, when there's support that is offered to you. But, you know, you also have to be able to extend the hand back at some point. And we do blame a lot on women. I You know, I remember the first time when people were like, well, what's Kim doing? Like, why oh. isn't she taking care of him? And it's like Kanye needs support. And Kanye needs support. And like, that's the end of the sentence. And you can't really blame caretakers around them for, you know, not quote unquote, being able to handle an individual. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I have a, thinking about, I think Elkin, you were the one that said, you know, he's in such a position of influence and power and going out and saying these things. Um, <laughs> like what kind of damage can that can that do? Because I think I think you said something about like political agenda and things like that. You know, I've come into contact recently with a lot of people who if they've got a certain belief or they want to confirm a certain idea that they have, they can go find the one person in that group that is going to confirm whatever they need. And they're going to use that as evidence. Exactly. And so like with adding on influence of somebody in, with such, you know, a broad reach, like what? What's the ramifications of that? Huge. And that's why I have that's why I have issues with Kanye, because I just know there's a part of the black community who still loves Kanye and particularly black men. Right. Who will hear him or see him with Donald Trump and think that's a viable option for us when that is not. And so. um And I'm not someone who thinks that because you're a certain race or gender, you have to belong to a particular 
political party. But this current political party is just, isn't Republican party, it's just not an option, it's not viable. Um, and so because he's aligned himself with them, I'm thinking about like, you know, the upcoming election and maybe a couple of states like the one that we're living in right now, Florida, we need all the votes that we can get because this is Supreme Court justices we're talking about, rest in power to RBG. Um, and so I think the issue just that I have with him is that he's not willing to really educate himself too on a lot of the issues around systemic racism, the impact of it, um, because I think if he really took the time to really educate himself. There's, and even just listen to the words and the history of what President Trump has done in his life over the course of his life. Like I just, to me, it just doesn't make any sense while anyone, particularly people who are part of marginalized communities would align themselves with someone like him. Um, so yeah, I hope I answered your question. You did. And again, that's, a, it seems like a light topic, you know, but I think that mm -hmm. that's one of the things it's like, man, you could get really deep with that. Um, but I'm wondering if, um, because we, before we pressed record, Robin, you had brought up something because you just, you know, brought up Florida and something that was happening in Florida. I don't know if that, no. Ooh. Yes. Oh my God. Oh, yes. oh. Uh, Denisha was shaking her head. No. And I was like, wait, I know, uh, right? No? Like, yes. No, no, I'm shaking my head. Like, no, like, what is going on? Because Denisha has no words. That's right. So, <laughs> you know, Elgin, you just brought up, you know, Florida and the current political, um, you know, the the way that the, the Republican Party is right now, I guess, um, mm -hmm. you know, the people that are in it. I, I, I'm just learning about politics now. So um, and reading uh, some books that have really kind of laid out the picture of when I was younger, like I, you know, wasn't cognizant of what was happening you know back when reagan was president and things like that and i'm just now realizing all of that and the damage even that the democratic party has done with like yes Clinton and things yeah. like that too so it's not you know it's not just one um right but i mean robin and and Oak, you were just telling us about what was going down in florida recently so i think that that might be yeah so yesterday um elkin i hope you don't mind me sharing elkin called me yes i was with a client <laughs> I, I was I was walking into a client's house and I couldn't answer. And so I called her when I left and she's like so pissed. She's in tears. Can you believe Governor DeSantis just proposed this legislation? And I'm so effing pissed. And, blah, 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 blah. and I haven't had time to read the news. I try not to read the news regularly. And so... She starts to explain, and you can go into more detail, Elkin. She starts to explain that there's a new piece of legislation that he just introduced to be voted on. It's called something like combating violence, combat thank disorder, you, and looting and law enforcement protection act. Combating violence, looting, disorder, law enforcement protection act, mm -hmm. right? And so she starts to explain some of the general ideas around it. And the general ideas are that if you are in a place of public protest that becomes violent, you could be charged with a third degree felony, felony, excuse me. If you are in that place and you are obstructing traffic, 
and you happen to get hit or injured by another uh, by a driver, even if that injury results in fatality, the driver will not be charged. Um, those are just a couple of things that she was able mm-hmm. to tell to me in, in a few minutes that I was able to talk. And I was like, what? This is crazy. And so I don't know how many of your listeners know what's happening in Central Florida right now. A young black man was murdered leaving the mall. His name is Salathus Melvin. And Miles Moraine, who is of Let Your Voice Be Heard, he's an active organizer, demonstrator, uh, peaceful protester, has been calling for national attention to this. And just recently, um, his organizers kind of, um, they went to the bubble, the NBA bubble out here in Disney. Mm -hmm. And they protested and it started trending on Twitter. And so some more national attention was brought to the murder of this young man who um, they said that they found a gun on him, come to find out the gun was planted. It's, there's a lot of shady things going on. Salathus Melvin. And so I think because of that and because of the administration that governs our state and because of what the priorities are for our state, we know that poor lives Black lives, transgender, LGBTQ, essential workers, they don't matter. They don't matter, right? And so with this legislation, it was just like another big slap in the face, punch in the gut, knock out your teeth kind of legislative move that made it like, what? Are we in the twilight zone for real? Um, Elkin can give you some more specifics on like the bullet points of this legislation, but I just don't understand how peaceful protesting, I read some article the other day that something like 93% of protests have been peaceful. But what we see in the news is, oh, looting and rioting from certain angles. And that's just not the truth. And so you have to begin to wonder what is wrong with us as citizens peacefully organizing to demand justice, to demand equity, to demand peace within our communities and within our neighborhoods. And and what is at stake if we get that? What's really at stake is patriarchy and capitalism, if you want to go bare bones with it. So anyway, I could go on and on about that. Okay, what are some of the bullet points of, of what the legislation proposes? When I read about the degrees of felonies earlier, I was like, mm-hmm. what? So you, you got the two main ones. So I'll only add maybe one or two more. But the one that I thought was really interesting was the no defund the police permitted. So essentially, yeah. it wants to punish municipalities who are really looking at their funding structure for law enforcement. So if, let's just say, you know, the city of Fort Lauderdale decides, hey, we're going to decrease the funding of the city of Fort Lauderdale police, then the state is going to penalize the city of Fort Lauderdale. And that them penalizing means less funds, right, from the state for them to do any type of work they want to do, Um, which is really damaging because so much of that funds, like, for example, this, uh, I think the city of Los Angeles funds their police department more than actual affordable housing. So we know that lack of housing increases, right? The, the increases the chances of criminality. So if you really want to fix crime, 
right? Then you have to provide people safe and affordable housing. Yet the city of Los Angeles is funding police more than they're funding, you know, actual social determinants of health programming. And so I think, um, you know, that piece really was like, wow, I think, you know, Governor DeSantis, and this is a side note, a joke. So I, earlier I said I'm Haitian American. And so in the Haitian community, um, when we say DeSantis, we say DeSanti. And people usually think that's like, um, we're just saying it in Creole, when it really is, we're calling him stank breath. Um, but people think it. <laughs> <laughs> people just assume. Yes. So people people think so people just think, oh, we're just saying his name in like a thick, like Haitian accent. <laughs> so when people see that on my Twitter or my Facebook or whatever, you know, so if you ever hear me, if you catch me in the streets and you hear me saying dust something, you just think, you know, thick Haitian accent is coming out. No, I'm just calling him Stank Breath because I have no respect for him right now. Um <laughs> But yeah, and I think the other one was a six months mandatory jail sentence for yeah. if you, you know, hit an officer. And I put that in quotations. And I'm going to be fully transparent. Part of my day job, I don't know if I'm going to get in trouble for this, but part of my day job is I train police officers for our county. And so I'm in close contact with police officers. Um, I have friends who are police officers. Um, and I listen to their conversations in my classroom. And uh, so if anyone is listening and they want to say, oh, my gosh, blue lives, um, you don't know police. I know police and I know them probably uh, better than 90 percent of the American population because I hear the conversations they don't think I hear. Um, and I've had these conversations with Robin um, in the past about some of the things that I hear in the classroom. And one of the things I think I can share, and I won't name the agency, is I was literally in a classroom and we were having a conversation about uh, implicit bias. And one of the officers in their small little group used the N-word. And when I tried to address it with their, that particular agency, um, the sergeant who contacted me was then trying to bully me. Here I am, right? Calling to address a concern. And so like any industry, right? You are, you're always going to have people who I think, um, you know, the good apples, the bad apples. Uh, but the difference is with law enforcement, literally the lives of people are in their hands. So we need to hold them accountable. And the system that DeSantis or Dasanti is trying to create um, is not holding police officers accountable. And so I think the issue of defunding the police is every other field, we have metrics we have to meet. Every other field, there are things that we have to have, um, you have to meet standards. And I think what community members are asking is that if you're in law enforcement, um, maybe you need to have a better system in place so you don't kill an innocent woman like Breonna Taylor, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe you need to have a better system in place where your officers are not shooting someone in the back as they're going into their car um, with their children. Yeah. And so um, 
I am, yeah, like Robin said, I was, I was pissed off yesterday. I was crying. I was just like, you got to be kidding me that this is in this time, in this day and age, this is what the governor of Florida wants to do. I think for me, like reading over this act, this for, you know, what's been proposed here. Thinking back to like all the times it says that you can have all of these um, strikes against you, essentially, like you can get a third degree felony, right? When a situation becomes disorderly or violent as a behavior analyst, what constitutes that, right? Mm -hmm. But then realizing that the demonstrations become violent because of police. police. And I know yeah. that sounds circuitous, but it's not. They show up, they have on militarized gear, and they agitate nonviolent people to the point of violence or to the, but even if, even that, once again, it's like define it because I've been at protests plenty of times getting pushed by an officer and I'm yelling back into somebody's face and you take me down and my charge could be, you know, I'm now with a third degree felony because the, a police officer agitated it um, or a second degree felony. And the other part of this is like, there's no restoration from this act. Once you get charged, it says that you don't get any type of um, what there's something for like employment that was listed, right? Mm -hmm. Ineligible mm -hmm. for employment. Mm -hmm. If you're convicted, talk about, like, you know who this, it, it, it's, it's, and I, so right now, the way that I see, and, and this is probably going to be whatever, but I don't care. I see the Republican Party as the fascist party in this day and age. Like, these are fascists yes. up under our nose. This is fascism. You are literally saying that people don't have a right to protest. And if you do, then we're going to go ahead and punish you for it. And because there's no regulations, because people will turn off their body cams. So what that you regulate that you try to regulate body cams, we see that people turn them off. And so then no matter what a police officer say says, because their word holds weight over anyone else, I'm, you know, protesters are going to get charged with a third or second degree felony regardless. And so that is fascism. The fact that you can have a municipality that decides to um, make changes, and then not only make changes, but make the changes that the community actually wants to see, because don't forget that most black people actually do want to defund the police. Right. And so, like, this is the community that's most impacted. They're saying these are what you these are the um, the new rules and regulations that you can put in place to, pr to, to protect our bodies. And you're saying uh, if you do that. If you try to protect those black people over there, I'm going to make sure that you never get any money from us. And so once again, I don't see this even as Republican versus Democrat. I, Democrat, I literally see these are fascists that are taking over government and they're doing it right in our faces. You know? Yeah. There was even a, one I forgot to mention was the one that says that if you participate um, and this so that it will terminate government government employment benefits. So let's just say so it's specifically targeting poor people, right? Mm -hmm. Across all races, right? Genders. If you are receiving any type of benefit from the state of Florida, it's saying that it will terminate all of your your benefits, which is insane to me. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Think about essential workers that work in state government jobs. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, healthcare workers, teachers, um, city and government workers who are a lot of times people um, of color, minorities. Uh, those are people who benefit from the Florida retirement system. Mm-hmm. Those are people who get benefits from the state of Florida. And when you talk about all of your benefits are going to be taken away, that will give people pause. And that will cause people to rethink speaking out, using their voice, exercising exercising their rights to use their voice. Because now you're trying to take away everything I've been working for for the last 20, mm-hmm. 20 30 years. Mm-hmm. And it can happen. It's... Like Denisha says, it's happening in front of our faces. And so then what do we do? I think sometimes, Denisha, when we talk about fascism and when we say that word, people get even more like, you can't say that, not in America. (laughs) But when we look at historically what Mm -hmm. has happened in other countries, people need to be real about what's happening right now. Mm -hmm. It is absolutely terrifying. And in many ways, I don't even know really what is the next best way to go because I know that many people that I talk to feel helpless, feel like, well, I'm not going to lose my benefits. So y'all can go protest. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm not doing that. Y'all can go demonstrate if you don't want to say protest, whatever it is. And so black people, because I love to talk about black people, we are sometimes stuck between this rock and a hard place of, do I exercise my my rights? And <laughs> you can see my air quotes. Or do I continue to try to work within this system that's created for me to work within it so that I can provide for my children, so that I can take care of my elderly parents, so that I can have access to some sort of edu- some sort of halfway halfway decent healthcare, education, um, job. It's this it's this kind of catch-22 that is really disgusting, infuriating, and frightening at the same time. We have to understand that the system that was meant to destroy us is not going to be the system that saves us at exactly. the end of the day. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, for those that are listening, even with you hear the words fascism, you're like, okay, yes. I, I totally think, too, like people are just like, uh, yeah, but like, no. Fascism is what's happening, y'all. And that's not even a it's not even a jump. Right. Um, So one of the things, you know, talking about fascism, I think for the behavior analytic community, it's not a it's not a reach. If we look at the definition of fascism, it's one in which one person has power and control and they forcibly suppress opposition and criticism. This is by force. You are saying that you cannot criticize the way that we govern you. And if you do so, we will punish you. And that is fascism. And we'll we'll talk more about fascism in the rest of the show when we get to the other part of fascism that's happened in the highest office right now. But it's literally, I realize that there are some folks who want that governance because one part of fascism is it talks about like the the use of nationalism right mm-hmm. um as being like one of the the driving forces behind it and and racism that goes with that so 
it's it's not it's all by design it's not by happenstance it's not by chance like the you know we're we're al- allowing unfortunately one one political party and i and i'll say that their own political party is allowing them to do this when they're saying mm-hmm. i don't agree with what he's doing but i'll still stand behind him you know like mm-hmm. florida and all the other states, Florida is not the only state that came against protesters since everything um, started this year. You know, it was Tennessee who also had the same thing. The other state that was like, if you protest, then you could lose your voting rights. My goodness. Like, how are these things interconnected? And you get a felony so you can't vote anymore from protesting. And like you said, Robin, 90 it, it is actually 97 percent, I think, um, or maybe that was one particular state that I saw. But 97 mm-hmm. percent of protesters are peaceful and you're so focused on the three percent. Mm-hmm. So the 97 percent, whatever they're telling you and how they're sa- telling you still isn't good enough. Right. Mm-hmm. So, and you know, the hypocrisy is that this entire country was founded based on a protest. <sighs> right. <laughs> That's the hypocrisy of this entire thing. Like yeah. this country was birthed out of protests, right? That was the Boston Tea Party, right? So I, I just, that's what's, was so, it's just such like a, I was going to curse. Um, I just you held curse. back. Okay. <laughs> but, um, but that's what's it's, so mind boggling about this. I think you make a great point, Denisha, that we need to look at like, at, at what end like who, who who is this truly benefiting right and then when I think about what else is happening in our society I know we were slated to talk about this a little bit I don't know what our, our time is like but all of these federal orders that it is now illegal to teach or share the 1619 curriculum mm. or talk about critical race theory, which I do a lot in the professional development that I provide. If it's training that's provided with federal dollars, that's considered whatever the, the, the political, legal, whatever terms are. What is wrong with us encouraging, imploring teachers to tell the truth about our history? When you think about it in that kind of a fundamental way, then you have to begin to think like, well, who's benefiting from us not telling the truth? Mm-hmm. Who's really benefiting from us not telling the truth? And I know um, just last year and, and since then, I've listened to the podcast several times. Um, has anyone on the show heard uh, or listened to the podcast Seeing White? No. no. It's, it's, it's mind-blowing, Okay. It came out in 2017. I think the actual podcast is Seen on Radio, S-C-E-N-E, Seen on Radio. It was in 2017 when it was first aired. Every training I give about race, about critical race theory, about racism, I share this with people. Everybody needs to listen to it and listen to it several times. Seen on Radio is the podcast. The series is called Seeing White, S-E-E-I-N-G. It breaks down and it falls perfectly in line with Ibram Kendi's, um, um, his first book. Okay. I, no, not, not how no, that before that. I can't mm-hmm. even think of. Stand from um, the beginning? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Mm-hmm. Stand from the beginning. 
it breaks down and he's he's quoted a lot in the podcast. He does a lot of segments on the podcast. That's how I was even pushed to read Stamp from the beginning. But it breaks down the, the, the construct of race within America and how it started. And when people, white, black, indigenous, whoever, listen to it, there is no way you can deny that race and racism was created for the benefit of white men. And when you come to terms with that, and then everything that happened after that, you ha- there's no way you can't look at what's going on in our society right now. Like, we can't tell the truth to our children. It's now illegal to tell. That's how I look at it. It's now illegal to tell the truth to our children. And what's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? You um, have to get to that it's the you're asking what's the function of all of this and that's the question that must always be asked like who benefits who loses if we're not asking Mm -hmm. ourselves those questions we're actually not really addressing it and when to think about who stands to lose if you teach people the truth we know who stands to lose right Mm -hmm. we know the interconnectedness of one if i realize that oh actually it's been this group of people and and they would rather protect their goods and services, their wealth, then, you know, for people to, to, to say, actually, this isn't right, then they're going to protect it at all costs. And the people, you know, we're talking about Governor DeSanti and, uh, <laughs> that was and good. <laughs> I'm impressed you remembered that. And, you know, the person in the White House and like these are white men who have a lot to lose. They have a lot at stake of even telling the truth in like 1619. That also the this wasn't the person in the White House, his idea. This came from Carolina, one um, South Carolina. The governor there was like, oh, you can't teach 1619 in the school or you won't get funding from us. And mm-hmm. once again, there's protection here, protection of their, mm-hmm. you know their money, their wealth, protection of their status, their privilege, like how you are mm-hmm. seen to the rest of the world. And like, we can't teach that. We can't teach the truth. And even just the point of like, you know, he said that we have to teach patriotism. Get We have to, first of all, he had to create something to say that he wants to reinstate patriotism in school. Don't you realize this education already exists? We get to know y'all history really well, mm-hmm. except for mm-hmm. the stuff that y'all think that, you know, it's the yeah. truth, but y'all think is bad and makes you look look bad. Um, That's it. That's it. I think, you know, being confronted with the ugliness of American history is difficult from pe- for a lot of white people, white men in particular. That the idea that um, their ancestors, their fathers, were inhumane and barbaric, and I'm gonna I'm purposely using harsh words here because that's exactly what they were barbaric people who i mean these are people (laughs) yes genocide like that's yes yes and so it's hard for them to confront that truth or um and maybe it's not even necessarily the truth it's hard for them to be confronted in but they don't like they don't want the the idea of it being pictured in its full ugliness right like they 
color it like, oh, yeah, there just were imperfect humans because we're all imperfect where, no, there was more than just imperfect humans. Like imperfect humans lie, you know, uh, may steal something like worth $5, right? But we're talking about people who, you know, took people from their homeland um, and and treated them like animals. I went to um, the African-American History Museum last fall for the first time. So if you haven't been, whenever outside opens up again, I encourage everyone to go and you probably need to go like three to four times because I was unable to see everything. But there was one image or one little stand that I'll never forget. And it was a depiction of a mom with a toddler. And under the bottom, when you read the subscription, the the note, it talked about how she killed her toddler because they were about to sell her into slavery. And she said, death was better than being enslaved. And I literally just broke down and cried right there because I can't imagine looking at my two-year-old child and saying, death is better. And then me taking my own hands to kill my child. So that speaks to the ugliness and the evil of slavery that I think Americans in general try to erase or forget or minimize. Um, and I think majority of Americans do that. We don't wanna really look at just how ugly, and not only what you know we did to black people, but I think about indigenous people too, like being wiped out, right, of your homeland. I, I think it's important for us to always bring up indigenous people in this conversation. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things I feel like happens with these conversations um, just in general, is like what you're talking about, Elkin, this, this romanticism that happens Mm. with it. Right. And it's just like talking about it in a way and finding it, it. It's part of it that too, is like when you hear folks that are talking and trying to find connection with the ancestors who pillaged through, who, you know, this country, um, but having that empathy for them in a way while essentially like reinforcing the dehumanization of our people, like to to mm-hmm. go so far to call, you know, women mistresses who were raped by mm-hmm. slave owners, to call slave owners uh, wealthy farmers or whatever, like you are literally um, undermining the violence that our ancestors went through. I saw a post the other day and I know we're yes, I was gonna mention that. I think I saw it on your page. Yeah. If you replace this with that. If, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I know we're running short. I do want to go over it because it's so important. It's like get clear on this language when we talk about chattel slavery. You know, slaves, enslaved people, they're hostages. They were hostages. Slave owners were human traffickers. Slave catchers are are the police. Plantations are death camps. Mistresses, rape victims. Discipline equals torture or murder. Overseers are the torturers. Trading equals kidnapping. Profit equals theft. Middle passage equals genocide. And I want to quote the person, absurdist words. That's who, uh, that's their Twitter. But Mm -hmm. an example of that is like, you once again, when we romanticize this language and talk about it very fluffily, but it wasn't fluffy. It was very violent. And so, you know, it said instead of saying slave f- 
families lived in plantations owned by white slave owners who hired overseers to maintain discipline, you say black families were held hostage in death camps by white human traffickers who employed torturers to torture and kill them. Mm. Um, Mr. Johnson, a philanthropist and human trafficker, declares that his black his family of black hostages will be freed over his dead body. Um, Congress passed the Escape and Black Families Act, which obligated whites to return terrified black families to the death camps of their kidnappers. And so I think, you know, being able to get rid of that information, talking about it as it is. One thing that I always say, like, I know for a long time that our community, they get tired of seeing trauma porn. And I get it because we have a lot of stuff that goes on our community, but we cannot let them erase the history that really existed for our ancestors. That's ex that is erasing what they went through um, for us. And, and you know, the whole thing for us to even be here, no, that they didn't do that for us to be here. They endured that because some individuals and put it into law, said that it was um, legal just for, the, for them to gain wealth. Like this wasn't our ancestors' um, sacrifice for us. They never, they shouldn't have had to make a sacrifice. It wasn't an intentional sacrifice. It was kidnapping. It, you know, it was um, everything that absurd is worth said in that post. And so being able to be really clear on that and not forgetting that and not letting people like the person in the White House tell us that it's not patriotic to talk about. And if this is your definition of patriotism to be a lie, then do we really want that? And I don't know, like, he went on about fake news this whole time, but literally it's oh, fake news is okay. As long as, as long as he's feeling it. Mm -hmm. Yep. I know Aaron, I know you're going to say Real fast. So Robin, you said like people are feeling helpless. Like what can we do? Right. Mm -hmm. um, I think oftentimes, at least I was raised and I'm assuming the rest of you, like our education is put in the hands of like what the government tells us they're allowed to educate us. And if you're a parent that's listening to this and you have kids, you have the ability to educate your kids. You can learn all this. You can take them to um, history museums. We just went to Blue Spring State Park, which is in like right, you know, in central Florida. And there's a plantation house. And we took Kristen Sunther. I've got it on camera. I've got the whole thing, like all the language that it mentions, like Native Americans once there's no there's nothing it paints this nice white um poor woe is me like all this um you know harm caused to white people and i'm like this was a plantation like we know what that means and so we're walking out and we're telling him like no like this is what happens all this was erased but even that language denisha that you just gave like make that fluent walk into those with your kids with the intention not to see this beautiful plantation house to look at the architecture to tell them what actually happened there and to show how it is not mentioned how it is being erased because that is the that's that's the damage right there you don't have to put your education in whoever's hands that it's in you can have them say okay well here's what they're missing and why do you think that they're missing that that critical analysis is so important i, I saw that Aaron, when you uh did that when you and kristen did that with the kids and there are so many white people and even some black people depending on when and how and where we were raised, that are afraid to do that. Um, many of us who are afraid to say what plantations really were. You know, we want to have our wedding at the plantation house. There's so many levels that need to happen. So I'm glad that you brought that up because it's not just with white people. It's with us too. 
And we need to start really looking at like, why in the world would you want to get married there? Why would you want to spend your time and your money at the country club or this location or that location when you know the history of this location and you know what happened here? Or do you know? So educating our own children is um, key. I was I was elated to see that you and Kristen did that with the kids. So my thing about plantations and I don't know, just everything that you said, Robin, is my viewpoints. Like I will never step foot on a plantation. I don't need to go there. And I and I don't need whoever the family is still profiting from what their ancestors did. And I don't know if all the plantations that exist um, exist in that way. But regardless, your your family own this, who gets the money from here? And you don't get it. And you don't get it for this reason. Like I, I don't care what it is. There's nothing to me that says I can learn from this place that I need to go and see where they tortured, raped, and killed my ancestors. And so for me, you know, like you said, Robin, like, why are you getting married there? Right. And then for me, also a step is that I'm not even funding them. I would never pay $2, $20, $25 to go to a plantation to see someone's family members um, talk about their family who, you know, just so happened to get rich by owning people. You know? It's such a thin line, um, Denisha, because I, I think that that history does need to be taught. Mm-hmm. Um, it's obviously not going to be taught in our school systems. Uh, and these places still exist. So I get it. I can see both points of view because I could see my taking my children for learning purposes. Like this is what this place is. You're not, well, maybe now with the internet, you're not going to see it otherwise. Uh, but I don't see spending $20,000 to go have a, a memorable, oh, event, memorable event of my lifetime here. Yeah. So yeah. I think it's a very thin line. Um, and and that is the, that's the hard part. Like at what point do we completely abolish, get rid of all of these types of statues, memorabilia things and at what point do we keep them to show kids um, and teach kids, but not allow the oppressors to continue to benefit from it? I think put them in museums. Like I'm thinking about Maryland, for example. You know, yeah, I go to black, the Black um, History Museum here in Maryland, and it's really, it's barely hanging on. But then folks can travel up the road and go to the plantations um, to, you know, see those things and put them in put them in museums. Like, and I I do get it. I do. You know, when I was in college, I almost went because it was a um, college trip or whatever. And for the function of my behavior was I just wanted to go with friends. Um, they were going to Atlanta, and I knew that you know that was one part of the trip. But I just cared about going on the trip. But I couldn't afford it anyway, so I didn't go. But um, but yeah, you know, I do think that there might be some replacement behaviors around not putting the money back into the families 
um, who own it. And, and I don't want to speak as if I've done full research on every single plantation that exists. I have no idea if there are plantations that exist where the money goes to the families, like if it's a if it's used as a reparations type of thing. Because if that's the case, then I'm all for it. You know, like if this is reparations for the direct family, the direct lineage of enslaved individuals, then that's that's a better way of looking at it mm -hmm. than, oh yeah, my great, 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 great grandpappy. And I said all those greats and we know it's not even that far along. Not even that many. Yeah, mm -hmm. you know, my great, great grandfather um, owned this property. And so that's, I think that's the point that I, um, or that's a hard part that I really have. And I, I think that for individuals who do have those plantations, maybe one's listening to the show or knows a friend, like have a conversation and see, you know, where the money is going. I think that's part of the education too, right? Is like teach your kid, like, how are you going to find that out? What's the company that you're putting your money into? Mm -hmm. Like who all is this benefiting and how can you just say, no, like, I'm not going to do this. Or what is the impact that then comes from that? You know, I didn't mean to cut you off, Falcon, but I like, no, no, all about I was <laughs> no, I, I wanted to go back to what you said about educating and then Robin said something too. So I think it's also important because we talked about white people, but also black people needing to educate themselves. But specifically, I want to also call out black immigrants um, to also to do the work to understand systemic racism in this country and the role that it plays and how it shows up and where it shows up because I think um, that's important too. And I'm speaking from my own Haitian identity experience, right, in my Caribbean community, um, because I think we do a disservice to the work when we don't educate ourselves about the system in which we operate in this country. It's very, like, I, I talk to my Caribbean friends all the time and, you know, their parents will say, I didn't realize I was black until I moved here, right? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and, and so, um, I think that's important. So if we have, you know, um, the diaspora listening that's outside, that is from outside of this country, I think it's important for them to do the work. And then back to the point that you made earlier, Aaron or Denisha, I think it was about, we talked about patriotism. Um, you know, James Baldwin has this quote that I love where he says, I love America more than any country in the world. And exactly for this reason, I insist on the right to criticize her. And so that is what true patriotism is, right? So trying to form this more perfect union. And, um, and I think that that's what we should center our education on is this, this idea of constantly saying, can we do better? Absolutely, yes. These are the areas that we need to actively work on dismantling. These are the issues that we need to, to fix because you know, I think about as a parent or a friend relationship, if I love you, I'm going to lovingly correct you. I don't want you to stay in your sh shit, right? I don't. And so I think this is an honest conversation that Americans need to have, that when I criticize America, it's not because I don't love America, it's because I want better for America and all people, it. not just, yeah, you know? Great yeah. point. Denisha keeps, you know, hating on people that say, like, be kind and all this stuff. And is like, yeah, like, I reframe kindness in that way that you just said, like, I'm going to correct you. I'm going to speak up out of mm -hmm. kindness because I want you to do better because you can do better because other people need you to do better. You know, yeah. so that's the type of kindness that I'm coming from. And that doesn't always look pretty. You know, it doesn't always right. feel pretty. Yeah, yep. but it's right. needed. 
I want to say for y'all's listeners, my issue with kindness is that <laughs> over the years that I've seen it, I've seen that that's been a value of white folks, right? And it's like, we're talking about oppression and you're like, okay, but be kind about it. Like, okay, but you know, you don't have to say it in that way. And so really a lot of times I hear it, it's in the context of tone policing. And mm. I don't care who you are, like, you know, keeping kindness really at the helm is literally just saying that if you want to get free, you have to do it our way. You have to be nice mm -hmm. about it. You have to say it in a good tone. You um, better make sure your English is perfect. You um, better not offend me. You um, better make sure that I don't feel guilty about what you're saying. And like, for me, when it comes from that lens, blaming the victim and saying that they're only going to get free if it's, you know, at your, um, at your disposal or at your whim or however you want to um, have us get there. Like that's not, that's not liberation work to me. And so to me, I, you know, we're not going to hug our way out of oppression. We're not going to do that. Right. I'm not going to give you a hug. Yeah. You're just going to say, okay, now you're free. If that was mm -hmm. the case, this country wouldn't be what this country is. Because yeah. our ancestors were like, we know our ancestors and the connection with them. They're inherently kind, you know, yeah. and like, y'all don't care about kindness. Y'all don't yeah. care I, when our ancestors are very interesting. Yeah, I think that's very interesting. The, dip, the very different perspectives that you and Aaron both bring to being kind and how we may, diff, you know, we may operationally define it in different ways. When I think about kindness, I don't think about conceding to the oppressor. I think about being a human and tapping into your, your inherent human se good self. And, tr tr you know, we hear it all the time, treating other people as you would want to be treated. And I think the problem comes in is because many of us don't, we're not even in tune enough with ourselves mm to understand and think about how our actions are impacting other people. We do it without even thinking about it because we have been so socialized and because it's like what we said, it's so ingrained our language, our mannerisms, mm -hmm. um, the things that we support, the things that we value. So I think that, that when we think about being kind, it's more about being human and treating other people how you want to be treating. I definitely agree with you, Denisha. We're not going to hug our way out of, and we're not going to dance our way around uh, out of this oppression that we're all facing and this white male patriarchal system that we live under. Yet, at the same time, it's going to take a great deal of humility and being, being humble and, and really thinking about, wait a minute, if someone did that to me, said that to me, um, treated me in this way, how would I feel? And if I don't want to feel that, then I'm going to be kind and I'm going to act in the way that I would want someone to act toward me. So mm -hmm. that's interesting. I mean, just knowing I, that you I guys share the podcast space mm -hmm. um, to have such different operational definitions of kindness is cool. And it's just coming from about. two different frame, like it's coming from two different perspectives, because also exactly. part of that, too, is like um, being kind to the oppressor, like you said, like and I see it in the sense of folks who have been kind that won't call out things. I see Aaron, you know, your operational definition to me sounds like accountability and mm -hmm. like I because, you know, 
I care about this. I'm going to hold you accountable to such. But when I say that being kind is not going to get us out of oppression, I mean, for the folks who have decided that also one, you know, talking about the, the victim blaming, but then also the ones who decide that I'm going to be kind to white men in power because that's a value like, oh, I, I don't like how you are oppressing those black people. But because kindness is my value, I'm going to turn the other cheek and just see you as your full whole person who didn't really mm -mm. Things right, so it's just my lens is coming from seeing folks who have turned away um, from injustices over the years um, and upholding this sense of well, just why don't you just be nice to people? We're not gonna get it by you barking down that you know the the ones that are doing all of the damage they deserve you know love and kindness and yes everyone deserves love and kindness and we say that in a very just you know willy-nilly way, but everyone deserves accountability as a part of that. And so I, that's mm -hmm. the part that I don't want to be missed is like, yes, you have to hold folks accountable. And like, if it means mm -hmm. that you're unkind, sometimes do that crap, like call it mm -hmm. out. I, I think I now use the phrase, um, I used to use the phrase, phrase safe space and I no longer do that because that's what safe space is, right? So I use brave space because brave space means you're gonna be uncomfortable and you need to be able to sit in that. Um, so anytime I hear someone says safe space, I said, no, we're not doing that here because I don't care about your comfort. What I care about is are we going to have an honest conversation about what needs to change? And that and requires because, bravery. Right. No space is truly safe. Like, seriously, like there may be one or two people that I would. And if I was in the space with them, would consider that to be 100 percent mm -hmm. true. Um, and that comes from a very long history. Um, but. I could walk into any space and be misgendered. That doesn't feel safe just because right. you define it as this and put a title on the wall or you in your group or something like that. And you call it safe. That doesn't mean anything to me. Um, and back to the thing about kindness, you know, Denisha, I think I really like the word accountability and I might start to like frame that differently because when I start to think and I start to learn about kindness as a white value, I do. And I've started to think about how am I instilling that with my kids and like mm -hmm. crap, like I don't want to, I'm taking, I was raised not to have a voice. I show respect. I shut up. I do things because I'm told um, mm -hmm. I can't counter anybody. I can't have an opinion and not just that, like, how does that, and where does that go for like kids? It's like school is such a big part of that and being funneled into like the, the public education system. Um, I think a lot of kids that, that that's where you're not allowed to have a voice. You're not allowed to debate things. You can't, you have to shut up, sit down, listen, follow the rules, and then you leave mm -hmm. at the end of the day. And if you don't, you get in trouble, you get sent to the principal's office and look at who gets sent to the principal's office. Mm -hmm. You know, it's mm -hmm. the people that don't value that kindness, you know, in the right. same way. And so I've really started to, and it's hard. It is hard. That's that uncomfortable, that discomfort. It's like, damn, that like, Ah, like that's not how it was raised, but I don't want that. That's the values and action thing that's constantly going back and being mindful of like, all right, like if my kid says something hard to me and in a tone that I don't like, um, what's the function of that? Not necessarily the topography and how can we tease those two things apart, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, this has been quite a show. I feel like we've been talking. I feel like we keep talking, honestly. I know. <laughs> you know, like combined podcasts and like, you know, <laughs> Come yeah, every really week. Really Back in the days, beautiful humans. <laughs> <laughs> we appreciate you guys for um, you let me self-correct. Would you say earlier self-correct? Oh, self-correct. Yeah, yeah. 
Thank you both for inviting us on. Um, as you know, we probably could continue these conversations all the time. And it's good to continue difficult conversations mm -hmm. that make you think, uh, especially with humans that I respect and I just admire your work. So thank you for inviting us. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to sharing the podcast. Yeah, I'm gonna manifest that when outside opens back up, we're gonna have a live show. I'm just putting it out there. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be amazing. That'd yeah. be amazing. I'm the only one that needs to travel then because y'all all in Florida. So it's I'll beautiful be here. Come on down. Okay. But yeah. Yeah. Not right now. Wait a month, apparently. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> I'm going to wait. Turn the thermostat. To leave. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Aaron, you asked earlier when does it cool down? Um, never really. It never really gets too cool here. So I was promised like a nice, what would be considered like my perfect fall, like 60 degrees or something like that. I was promised that that would happen around like January, February or something I like that. I was going to say that's going to be probably after yeah. December. Yeah. For a couple of weeks, we'll have that. So, yeah, we're going to come down to Florida and it'll be fun. It will be. You can come join us for a protest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and get arrested. Yes. And get a third degree felony. Felony, yeah. That's not even funny. Like <laughs> it, it's really it's very scary. It's very it's, scary. Yeah. But so I have to laugh so I won't cry. Mm -hmm. Exactly. We're gonna end on a high note. Yes. Thank you. Thank you both. Amazing, amazing conversations. And of course, I, I enjoy following you on social media and um, listening to your podcast. So, Yes. Can you let our followers know where to find you all? I know, Elkin, you gave out your social media already, but let us know your uh, Black in the Days handles, please. On Instagram, it is Black in the Days, Black with the letter N, the Days. Um, same on Facebook and that's it. That's our black in the days handle. Awesome. And for those who would like to follow us, you can follow us on Facebook at beautiful humans change. And I on Instagram at beautiful humans change. All right. Well, that was quite an episode, Aaron. Yes, it was. I was really, I don't know. It went from like, very entertaining to super serious. I don't know. It was like an emotional roller coaster the whole time, but it yeah. was that was really good. That will go. That one will go down, and probably the books is one of my favorites. I think. Yeah, I think that was a great crossover. I'm so happy that they joined us. Well, to our beautiful humans, thank you for committing to being beautiful humans with us. We'll see you next time. It's Tanisha and Erin. I just wanted to take the time here to let you know that if you're thinking about doing a podcast, there's a way for you to do a show without having to become an audio editing and production wizard. Yeah, you know, uh, we probably would have never gotten the show off the ground if it wasn't for a pretty easy podcast. So pretty easy podcast helps podcasters get their shows recorded and posted with a complete podcast studio at your disposal. Record from your home or your office or at the park. Pretty Easy Podcast caters to your schedule and gives you a producer for your show at your beck and call. So if you have an idea for a show and you need someone to rely on to help you get it done, 
go to prettyeasypodcast.com and sign up today. Be heard and have some fun podcasting. You know you want to do it. So go to prettyeasypodcast.com today. Mm-hmm.